Reading of the text uh, for the preaching today is from Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Listen to God's word. Then Peter came up and said to them, to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, we pray now that as you have inspired these words to be written down, our words our Savior said, that we may understand them spiritually and apply them spiritually and live more according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, it is clear from the larger context that Jesus is teaching here that a Christian who has is sinned against should forgive the one who sinned against him if he repents. He also taught in the preceding verses a personal and then judicial process designed to bring an offender to repentance and forgiveness. And we will circle back to this. Uh, I think you probably had it preached to you recently, but we will circle back to this again at the end. In the first part of the text today, Peter asks if there is a limit to the necessity to forgive repeat offenders. And I pause to ask you, are you a repeat offender before God? 
Do you ever sin the same sins over and over to God in, in his presence before his divine majesty? And do you keep coming back and asking for forgiveness? Well, Jesus answered very emphatically and hyperbolically. He said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. There is no limit to the forgiveness that should be extended, presumably because it should be like the forgiveness that God in Christ extends to believers. Unlimited, that is, for those who turn to Christ in repentance. That is made clear in the parable or the parabolic illustration that Jesus gives in the following verses. Peter here, being a practical sort of guy, asked Jesus about grudges. When can you hold a grudge against someone who sins and repents repeatedly, but repents again? When can you write them off? When can you be done with them? Right there in the text, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times, Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Peter here thought that this was a a rather generous offer of his, seven times. You should forgive seven times. The rabbis recommended forgiving three times. Peter is being more gracious than that, seven times. In response to the question, Jesus told a parable that illumines and illustrates the requirement of reconciliation. In the parable, I think we can discern three possible treatments that are given when someone sins against us. The first one is what we'll call the royal treatment the royal treatment, God's treatment. Every Christian has been treated this way. Sin, you see, is an unpayable debt, is it not? We cannot work off our sins. We cannot repay for our sins. In fact, our sins keep increasing and being stacked up higher and higher. The debt increases. We cannot pay them off. So Jesus says in verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. What this teaches us is that mercy is our only hope. We will not be able to pay. Here, uh, the... A legal term is used for the speech that this man made, asking for mercy. So verse 26, the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, that's this legal speech, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Well, actually, there's no way he could pay everything. Consider the debts in this parable. Commentators list the modern value of 10,000 talents as somewhere above, maybe greatly above, 12 million U.S. dollars. The figure clearly represents an unpayable debt. 
And the solution of selling his, his family, his children, and everything he had was not really going to get there either because the top price for a slave was about one talent, usually less. He didn't have 10,000 children. The promise the servant made here made no sense. He spoke as if all he needed to do were to ask for patience, and given enough time, he would actually pay this massive debt. The disciples who would hear this parable of Jesus would think it would actually be almost ridiculous and maybe even humorous to pay such a debt. Spurgeon says, many a poor sinner is very rich in resolutions. This servant debtor thought he only needed patience, but indeed he needed forgiveness. Now look at grace. Look at what grace is in verse 27, an undeserved favor. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him him and forgave him the debt. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. The master showed mercy, prompted by compassion, forgiving a debt that obviously could never be repaid, despite whatever promises the servant made. The king forgave the unpayable debt but it cost him. It cost the king. He had to write off that huge loss, you see. It cost him. And I again ask you are, you, are you a repeat offender against God's grace? I know the answer to that question. So next we see that was the royal treatment, mercy, forgiveness of an unpayable debt. Now we see the second possible way of dealing with this. That is the rotten treatment, the rotten treatment. You see, sometimes those who are forgiven refuse to live out the gospel. You saw that in the story of Jonah. He was an Israelite. He was uh, one of God's covenant people. He was called to go proclaim judgment to his enemies, the Ninevites, and he didn't even want to do it, but when he was forced to do it, he was angry with God for doing what? For having mercy. <laughs> he didn't want God to have mercy. That's the rotten treatment. Peter here wanted to know the limit so he could calculate the cost and then finally grab the offender by the throat and be done with him. Verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Same, same plead. Same thing the other one said. Have mercy, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Verse 30, he refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Anyone hearing this would know that it is rotten treatment. There's no way of justifying this. Now, the second debt here was a real debt. 
but it was a hundred denarii, roughly equal to a hundred days' wages. It was not an insignificant amount, but it was almost nothing compared to the debt forgiven by his master. It was actually about one six hundred thousandth of the debt owed to the master by the first servant. So I pause to ask you, you who have at times been sinned against and certainly have sinned against others, are you giving someone this rotten treatment, unwilling to forgive them? If so, then you can expect what we see next, and that is the righteous treatment, the righteous treatment. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus' words here, which are shocking to us, and we'll try to understand them. Verse 35, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. What does this threat mean? Is Jesus threatening eternal punishment, the loss of salvation to the believer who fails in this regard? Well, that would be counter to so much of the gospel teaching of justification by faith. We are not justified by our perfect performance, not even when it comes to forgiving others. We are justified by faith in Christ who was himself perfect and gives us his perfect righteousness as a gift undeserved. So this would be counter to that great principle which is everywhere found in the New Testament and in all of Scripture. So what is Jesus threatening here? What is it all about? What Jesus is teaching is what can be described, I would say, that we could put under the rubric of not eternal damnation, but temporal misery. Temporal misery. Our Westminster Confession of Faith says this. Listen to these words in chapter 18, paragraph 4. True believers may have the assurance of their salvation divers ways shaken, diminished, and intermitted, as by negligence in persevering of it, by falling into some special sin, I'm going to pause there and say, maybe the special sin we're talking about here is not forgiving someone who needs to be forgiven. By falling into some special sin which woundeth the conscience and grieveth the spirit, by some sudden or vehement temptation, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and have no light. 
And then the confession wonderfully says, yet they are never utterly destitute of that seed of God, that life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty, out of which by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived. And by the which in the meantime, they are supported from utter despair. What's that paragraph talking about? We do sin and sometimes we fail to do what God teaches us in the gospel and we suffer temporal misery. Jesus is teaching that when it comes to forgiveness, what you give is what you get, at least in the temporal sphere. Let's look at some of the scriptures that would also say similar. The first thing that you will lose if you fail to forgive someone who sins against you and repents is you will lose the, the blessings of a peaceful assurance of God's favor which are withdrawn because you are grieving the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 30 and 32, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And in that context, the next verse, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, and what's next? Forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. James teaches us that we, that we uh, have within us the, the root of bitterness, the, the seeds of anger and unforgiveness. He says in, in James 3, 6 through 10, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of our lives, and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And then he says this, listen. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Another passage that also teaches similar truth James 3, 14 through 18. Practical theology here. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Forgiveness, you see. One more, James 4. 
James asks this question, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? God is seriously jealous about our gospel living and the forgiveness of others who repent. Is he not? He is. And then just one more verse in that same passage. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you devil-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's just a few. I could find many more. So the blessings of a peaceful assurance of God's favor are withdrawn if you won't forgive because you have broken the command to love one another and be forgiving to one another. John 15, 12, Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. If you refuse to forgive from the heart, Sincerely, in other words, you flunk the test. The test of 1 John 3.14, which says, we know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So at least temporarily, you flunk the test. My dear friends, there are emotional and physical consequences which are described under the terms here in this parable, tormentors and jailers. The lack of rest, the lack of peace, the lack of joy, bitterness, resentment-filled heart, mind and mouth contemplating vengeance. You join the ranks of the offenders by your lack of forgiveness. I'll pause here to throw in a story of my own. I planted a church down in Southern Maryland in St. Mary's County. I was there for 15 years. About five years into the church plant, things were going very well. But for various reasons, some of the men in the church that I had uh, ordained and as deacons decided that I wasn't the guy they wanted anymore and uh, they were looking for ways to um, get rid of me. I won't get into the details here, but that included eventually bringing judicial charges against me. Now, they accused me of some, some bad things, most of which were not true. Some, some were, 
yes, but most of which, the most serious of which, were not true. But, but none of the things that they accused me of were nearly as bad as the hatred that grew in my heart. My hatred for them, my murderous hatred because of what they were doing to me. And I went to a pastor friend and told him my story of woe, and he said, you've got to forgive. <laughs> now, I know that it's not always easy to forgive you. Sometimes people won't repent, and then you can't really forgive them, but you at least need to have a disposition of willingness to forgive, a gospel heart that's willing to forgive. And sometimes you have to leave it to God to cause them to repent. My dear friends, that pastor that gave me that counsel was right. The solution here that Jesus recommends is that we, all of us, become regular practitioners of the royal treatment. Practice the grace by which you were saved. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And have the disposition of willingness to forgive and certainly forgive if someone repents. Secondly, see yourself in the offender. You are capable of the worst things that you can imagine. Don't think you're you're not, you are. <laughs> Thirdly, remember that God alone is righteous and God alone is the judge. Paul says in Romans 12, 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And fourthly, remember God's grace to you. His limitless grace to you who are repeat offenders. And be willing to pay the price to forgive others when they sin against you. It costs you something. It hurts. It causes you to suffer sometimes to forgive others. But remember... Your Savior, Jesus, was offended, and he was humiliated, and he was stripped, and he was beaten, and he was spat upon to forgive you. He endured the hellish agony of God's wrath to win your forgiveness. You were called to share in his sufferings for others, to forgive and make no mistake about it, the words of Jesus are very clear in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. This then is what you must do if you are offended. <clears throat> if your brother sins against you, back to verse 15, which is not in our text today, but verse 15 of chapter 18. If your brother sins against you, or if you think so, you don't always know. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
Do not talk to others who are in any way a party or even know this person, but talk, talk to someone if you need counsel who knows your strengths and weaknesses and prejudices, someone willing and able to correct you. And maybe the meeting will produce an explanation so that there's no need to forgive. Maybe it won't. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he really needs forgiveness and repents and you forgive him, it's all good. Put it behind you from the heart. How many times? 490 times. <laughs> really, it means too many to count, doesn't it? But verse 16 says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is from Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 21, describing the formal procedure in court, serious business. And then verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. The church, a judicial body, sits in assembly and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. In other words, as a traitor, an outsider, someone who lives outside the gospel. Even that process, many Christians say, oh, that's just too much trouble. I'm not going to do it. Too hard. It'll cost me too much. It will cost you. It will cost you. But it is clear. And it works. Either one way or the other, it works. Either it brings the offender to repentance or, or it makes it clear that they're not really a believer. Or at least for that moment, they're outside the kingdom of God and blessing. But whether it works this way or that way, it will cost you something. But it is still Jesus' gospel way. It cost him a great deal to provide this all for us. If you will not do this, you are the loser and the loss is terrible. So I ask you today, as I ask myself, are you willing to obey? In light of God's mercy to you, his abundant mercy to you, his 490, no, that's just parable, his unlimited mercy to you. You must practice costly mercy. Amen.